Um, this morning, as I mentioned, we are doing a, a once-off topic uh, sermon on transgenderism. And for most of us, we would be aware through the media, conversations that we have with our family and workplace, that this is a current and topical issue that is live and real for many people. Um, we wanted to look at it as a church community to think about how we, as God's people, can reflect his love and compassion for those who experience transgenderism in some form. So that's um, just a introduction as to where we're headed this morning. Uh, to let you know, Leah will read the Bible for us. Matt will um, share on the word uh, and give us um, the sermon, preach on the sermon. You'll see behind me some bar stools. So after the sermon, um, Jeff Lynn, who is visiting with us this morning from Living Hope, uh, which he'll let you know a little bit more about, he and Matt um, will be interviewed so we can find out a little bit more about how, as a church, we can go about uh, loving those with transgenderism. Um, and then we will pray. So it's going to be a slightly different format as a church, um, but hopefully um, we pray that it will be a helpful time for us as a church community. So let me begin our time together in prayer. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, thank you that you are a God like no other. You are good and perfect. As we open your words, thank you that these words are like no other. They are good and perfect. Please speak to us today through your good and perfect word. Lord, we pray that by your spirit, you would prepare our hearts and minds to know and understand it. Please give your servant, Matt, your words to preach clearly and faithfully this morning. In Jesus' name, we do pray. Amen. Thanks, Leah. We have three Bible readings this morning, the first from Genesis and the second two from Romans. Uh, you can follow in the blue Bibles or on the screen behind me. So starting at Genesis 1, verses 24 to 28. And that's on page two if you're in the Bibles. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now we're moving to Romans 1, verses 18 to 25. 
The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. To Romans 8, 18 to 30. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But we hope for what we do not yet have. We wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the minds of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Well, thanks, Leah, and good morning, everyone. If we haven't met, my name is Matt, and I'm a senior pastor here at Trinity Church Colonel Light Gardens. It's great to have you with us today and a particularly warm welcome to you if it's your first time with us or you're listening along online. Today, as Joe's mentioned, in between two series in Books of the Bible, we're taking a topical look at the issue of transgenderism. Earlier in the year, I was challenged to think through the issue by Jeff, whom we'll hear from a little later in the service, and I've included a little bit more of the background to how today came about in the leaflet letter. And after listening, reading, praying and talking about this issue for a few months now, I've realised just how much transgenderism 
is becoming the next discussion we're having as a society. Uh, Women's Weekly ran an article uh, this week, there's a uh, publication you didn't know I read, (laughs) uh, on Georgie Stone, who is going to be the first transgender actor to play a trans person on Australian television, uh, on Neighbours, if you can see the Ramsey Street uh, there. I had never heard of uh, Georgie before. She actually featured on Australian Story in 2016 on the ABC and was Victorian's Young Australian of the Year in 2017. And listening to her was very moving. She started telling her parents at about two and a half years old that whilst physically a boy, that she was indeed a girl. And as the years passed, this view of Georgie's didn't change. But as she grew, she felt the deep distress of trying to be a boy and, as you can imagine, endured much cruelty and bullying at school. Her mum and dad went through the family court battle as it was at the time and at age 10, Georgie was the youngest person in Australia to be granted access to hormone blockers to prevent the developments of puberty. Now, whatever your initial reaction to that story, I'd encourage you to Google Georgie Stone this week and listen to her for yourself, because it puts a human face on the discussion, and as a parent, I've been trying to think over recent months how I would speak on this topic if someone like Georgie were my child, whom I dearly love and was actually sitting in the room with us today. That heart, I think, is really important Because on the broader scale, society is not engaging well on difficult discussions. No longer on any issue, uh, you know, whether it's on something like refugees or sexuality on gender, is there a large proportion of Australia sitting in the middle with some extreme views at either end? Increasingly, and some great research and stats about this in the Western world, we have larger groups with very strongly held views on the extremes of the spectrum with far less people in the middle. And those whole communities have stopped listening to others and simply cannot fathom how anyone would think differently. Now, of course, every person on the planet has a worldview. We all see the problems of poverty, politics, domestic violence, mental health, just to name a few. And our worldview tells us how just what, these, what the biggest problems are, what we think might cause them, and it informs our opinions on how they may be helped or indeed solved. Uh, Georgie and the Stone family, as far as I can see, have a very different worldview to me, but I can recognise and really admire the way they are acting consistently within their worldview with love, compassion and other person-centredness. My prayer for today is that as a church we might listen, learn and reflect biblically so that we too can act consistently with our worldview as followers of Jesus with love and compassion too. So as we get into it, let me just clarify some terminology. You'll see some definitions there in your leaflet in the grey box, just to be helpful to you there. Firstly, the first term we've put there is gender identity, because it's really important to know how people are using these terms and how I'm using these terms. So gender identity, as it's commonly referred to today, is how you experience yourself or think of yourself as male or female. 
Secondly, and this is really important one to grasp, is the term gender dysphoria, which I've described there as the experience of distress when one's psychological and emotional gender identity does not match one's biological sex. Now, dysphoria is not a word we commonly use today. We do use the word euphoria quite a bit to describe intense excitement and happiness. Dysphoria is really the exact opposite. It's an intense distress. Hence, gender dysphoria is, as I said, the experience of that distress when one's psychological and emotional gender identity does not match one's biological sex. And the final word itself, uh, transgender, is really an umbrella term for the many ways in which people experience or live out this mismatch between gender identity and biological sex. So it's actually far more expansive than those who choose surgery and hormone treatment, and it isn't simply a desire to be the opposite gender, it's that actually felt belief that you are the opposite gender to what your body would say. Hence, the word transgender is the umbrella term for the many ways that people experience or live out this mismatch between gender identity and biological sex. Now, it's kind of unhelpful in society. We use the word trans a lot more broadly than that. Uh, trans, in many of your mind, might include a much wider range of activities from people cross-dressing for sexual arousal or for homosexual sex. We think of trans as including the sort of ladyboy shows of Thailand that you may have stumbled upon on your honeymoon, a little bit like us. <laughs> which is really unhelpful for the majority of people with gender dysphoria because that is not their experience. And to kind of get lumped in with all of that uh, is really unhelpful to someone who's actually suffering immensely, often alone through fear of shame, who don't want this mismatch and who do not choose this. And sadly, who experience much higher rates of poor mental health and rates of suicide that are off the charts alarming. Today, I'm speaking only of the more specific category of gender dysphoria and those who experience the intense and distressing felt mismatch between mind and body and are simply trying to navigate their way in this world the best they can. So, to our first Bible reading then, the foundation of the biblical story about God and humanity that male and female, we are created in God's image, and that it's actually, there's something in that gender there that is key to how we together reflect God's glory in our world, and that God has blessed humanity, male and female, and declared this good. The Bible doesn't tackle this disconnect between gender identity and biology head-on. It seems that biology simply determines gender. Uh, there's a couple of passages in Leviticus and Deuteronomy uh, that occasionally get used in arguments which need to be very carefully applied, and I'm very happy to discuss those with you. But for time's sake, we can say quite confidently that the goodness of the complementary na uh, nature of the genders is affirmed cover to cover across the Bible. And that, of course, most of the Bible's storyline takes place after the great turn in the story, the fall as Christians call it, that happens only third chapter in, as humanity designed to have dominion over God's creation under God's loving rule 
rejects this unique position with God, falling into sin and creating havoc with everything. The clearest description of the full import of this comes from our second reading today in Romans. It'd be great to have it open in front of you on page 1126, Romans, starting at Romans 1, verse 18. Where the case is built that we are all, each one of us here today, culpable for this rejection of God and have incurred God's wrath as a result. That there's actually a general revelation to all that in creation, God's invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived since the world was made, verse 20. And this very important passage makes a powerful case that humanity, that's all of us, Although we know God is there, we don't by nature want to honour Him or give thanks to Him. And we have become futile in our thinking. And for this reason, verse 26, God has given us all over to our desires. And as a result, every part of every one of us, body, mind, soul, is disordered in some way. We feel the effects of our ageing bodies because of sin. Our self-perception and ability to think clearly has been compromised by sin. So, when someone says to us that there is a painful mismatch between biology of my body and my gender identity, Christians should be the least surprised people on the planet. The painful truth at the heart of the Christian worldview is that the human experience of this broken world isn't actually an act of chance. God has not lost control either. Because of humanity's rebellion against Him, God in His wrath has given us all over to this brokenness. It's a level playing field for us all. Every person on the planet is broken by sin and is experiencing the effects of God's wrath. For each one of us, our sexuality and our gender identity, for example, is broken in some way. Our thinking and our self-perception are marred by that sin. Men, for example, have used the physical advantages of being male right across history for power, for self-gratification, to subtly put an end to an argument in the home by raising the voice a little to intimidate and coerce. We all experience the broken of this world marred by sin and we all commit sin for which we are culpable before God incurring wrath. There's two separate things going on there. We're experiencing the effects of living in a broken world because of sin and we're committing sin. It's like a a cycle. And it's important to make that distinction because, you know, when we're talking about something uh, like depression, for example, we now would put that firmly in the category of living in a world uh, broken by sin. We wouldn't consider the person culpable for that. Or, and Jesus never allows us to make the direct connection between something we're suffering and a particular sin in our lives. But it's fair to say, because of this is the experience of us all, none of us can cast the first stone at someone simply because they're broken differently to us. In, you know, all the reading and research over recent months, I heard a Christian 
living with gender dysphoria, just try and describe it to most of us who are never really going to get close, as like listening to a program on an old radio that just crackles and squeaks and squeals all the time. With some effort, you can make out what is being said, but there's a constant level of discomfort, distraction and sometimes pain in trying to do so. And this person said, the world tells me my only option to remove the static is to transition through surgery and the church tells me I should pray for healing. Or worse, they blame me for to attribute this pain to my sin and call me to repent. And for people who would give anything for this pain to stop, who I would argue are living with the effects of living in a broken world, and I don't think we can make that direct connection, uh, that it's uh, volitional, uh, to put it that way, I think that is extremely hurtful and destructive to uh, take someone's pain, they would give anything to be without and tell them they are to blame for it in a direct linked way to personal sin. But of course, we all live with the effects of sin, which we're culpable for in a broken world. I hope I've made that clear. And for people who would give anything for this pain to stop, just being told to pray about it uh, can actually be quite a scary thing because we've all, seen God, we've all seen God answer prayers wonderfully well if you're a Christian. But we've also prayed for people who have cancer and they haven't got better and they've died. So often people who are told just to pray about it are very scared because they don't know whether God is going to answer that prayer for them or not. Christian or not, we should all have great compassion to all who for every waking moment is experiencing life with an underlying, intense and distressing kind of background noise and pain due to gender dysphoria. There's a lot that experts don't know about its causes. You and I know far, far less. But what is clear and can be seen through statistics is that far too many who suffer from gender dysphoria can actually only see one option to stop that painfully distracting background noise. And they pull the plug on the radio altogether through suicide. I was uh, talking through the premise of this sermon with a friend who's exploring who Jesus is this week. And uh, we're reading through John's Gospel using the word one-to-one resource, quick ad. We've delivered seven training courses on that, five to go in term three. We'd love to have you along to it. If you ask any of the staff what's Matt's highlight of the week, uh, they will all sing in one voice. It's reading the Bible uh, with people uh, investigating who Jesus is. I would love you to share in that joy. Anyway, this week we came uh, with one of my friends to the most famous passage in the Bible, uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And it continues, of course, verse 17, for God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And I won't quote it word for word, but my friend said something like, so you're telling me that it's wrong, that it's actually unbiblical for a a Christian to be condemning of a trans person because God himself loves them and wants to save them. Yes, I replied. 
I said, it's not as if God has no thoughts on how we are to live once we've given our lives to Him. We bring all of our lives as Christians under Jesus' uh, Lordship and it's a challenge for us all and it changes everything. But what we can say with confidence, that there is never any room for judging someone as unworthy of hearing the great news of Jesus because all of us are sinners. If you played a 20-minute video package of my personal lowlights before church this morning, I don't think there's any way known to man that I would be standing here preaching to you this morning. The great truth is, of course, I can stand before a holy God because of what Christ has done for me, removing the penalty of those sins. Mind-blowing sort of Christian truth at the heart of things there. But as I explained this to my friends, he said, well, it's very humbling, really, the Christian life, isn't it? And I replied, yes, constantly. <laughs> anyway, these kind of discussions, highlight of my week, please come along to the training. <laughs> Details are on the website. Because this is not the whole, some piece of the Christian experience, because, of course, there's great joy immense joy at the heart of the Christian life as well because we believe in all of our brokenness and in all of our sin, God loves us and anyone who turns to Jesus can be saved by grace. In our final song today, we're going to sing, in my opinion, one of the greatest verses in a hymn ever written, which is at the heart of the Christian experience, the heart of the Christian worldview, and it is well with my soul, where we sing together, my sin... Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross, I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. And 9am being a bit down in number this morning because of a, a baptism over at Unley this morning, they did a great job of you know, trying to set a decibel record on this one. You're a bigger group uh, today, I reckon we can take them. <laughs> But before we get there, we of course need to ask what the Christian worldview has to say to speak into the life of someone suffering with gender dysphoria, and indeed to all of us living in a broken world. So come with me to our final reading in Romans 8, verses 18 to 30 on page 1132. Where the Apostle Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Now, I want to say the pain we experience is very real. And just looking around the room and the little amount I know of what's going on in your lives, there's a lot of pain here. And I don't want to downplay for a moment, and I can't even begin to understand, to be honest, the constant pain of living with gender dysphoria. So I don't want to play that down, but I don't think the Apostle Paul is trying to play down our pain either when he says it is not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Rather than playing it down, the Apostle Paul is playing up and helping us trying to grasp 
just how spectacular the glory of God will be once it's revealed among the children of God upon Jesus' return. Again, you'll note, it is affirmed God has not lost control of this world. God is the one who actually subjected it to frustration against its will. But there are two very important words here not to gloss over as we try and grasp with this in verse 20, that God has done all of this in hope that creation itself will be liberated and brought to freedom and glory, the freedom and glory that is ours for every child of God, every person who has put their trust in Jesus' death for us, this great future glory awaiting us. We can't comprehend it, but trying to just grasp for a moment just how much greater it is than the pain we experience today helps us to try and grasp what we can't imagine. Of all the things we could save this verse, don't miss in it the very clear promise. Suffering is not meaningless. My favourite quote uh, from one of the two books we'll talk about a little bit uh, later on gender dysphoria, this one's uh, from Yarhouse, is this. Where he says, Suffering in Christianity is not only not meaningless it is ultimately one of the most powerful media for the transition of meaning. Suffering exists in this world, we can all see it. And particularly when it comes to something like gender dysphoria, the experts and the world have few answers. Our world's take is to avoid suffering at all costs, hence it promotes transitioning, celebration, and now the silencing of all those who think differently. For many and varied reasons, however, many with gender dysphoria don't see satisfaction in either uh, course of action. They don't choose to have it, they would long to be without it. The small percentage of people who actually do pursue uh, Gender reassignment surgery, as it's called. Uh, statistically, some uh, report uh, some reduction in the pain associated with living with gender dysphoria. But more often than not, the mental health outcomes of those who have done it don't actually improve markedly. The Christian worldview says none of us actually should ever expect to escape suffering, except through Jesus. At the heart of our faith, at the heart of our worldview, we worship a king who suffered more than any of us could imagine, suffering the full weight of God's wrath upon himself so that all who turn to him don't have to bear it on their shoulders. Yet describes quite accurately our present experience, especially, I would say, for Christians, in verse 23, is one of groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly for this sure and certain future hope. With a worldview that offers, I would say, real hope of a yet unimaginable glory and freedom for all eternity, for all who trust in Jesus. 
And as we wait, God just doesn't simply, you know, wind it up and let us manage the best we can by ourselves. He gives to all those who are saved by Jesus His very Spirit, the Holy Spirit. There's a great passage here on how much the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, working in such a way in our lives that we can take to the bank one of the most beautiful promises in all of God's Word in verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Through coming to Jesus, any person on the planet guarantees that their suffering is never meaningless and they are never alone in it. That the God of the universe sees our condition under sin, under wrath, experiencing the effects of this broken world and actually does something about it, comes to earth, fully God, fully man, to do something about the biggest problem we all have, which is our broken relationship with God. And, as we await this future glory now, saved, declared children of God, Jesus is with us as we wait. Even in our pain, whatever or wherever that might come from. Verse 2 of It Is Well With My Soul, we sing together, Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. Now, we have only made a modest beginning on thinking through transgenderism today. But I want to uh, conclude by helping to unpack all of this practically for us in some way. For each question I answer, you'll ask 10 more. That's just the nature of tackling a topic like this. So I want to speak firstly to our youth. And I want to say that you guys are on the front line on the discussion on these types of issues. You are growing up in a world that is increasingly polarised, where people are not talking about these issues well, and people in society on both sides of the debate aren't listening to one another particularly well or conducting themselves in respectful ways, seeking to understand first. I want you to know that you're part of a church that is trying to do better where you can raise these kinds of issues, confident that we will talk about them lovingly and openly and with grace. The most important thing for you to know is really who Jesus is and why you believe in him. And if you're unsure, that's okay, ask for help. I have doubts in the Christian life, I have fears. And particularly when it comes to something like gender dysphoria, there's lots I don't know and I have many unanswered questions. But I am confident, after living in this world for 24 years of it at least, as someone who knows Jesus, that I am confident that he is who he says he is and I'm trying to work all this out with Scripture to shape my worldview you too can have that confidence and we're here to help as a church. 
For those who might be here today just checking out who Jesus is, welcome. We're so glad you're here today. We've tried to let our congregation know we're coming to this topic uh, today, so it wasn't a surprise. I realise it may have been a surprise for you and could have been confronting in a number of ways. You will have grasped, if nothing else, that the Christian worldview is different. I would go as far as to say every person on the planet owes it to themselves to spend some time working out whether it's true. Because if it is true, it changes everything. Suffering is not meaningless. Real hope is offered for the future. And practical help from God is offered today. As you've heard, we have lots of people trained to be super helpful and sitting down and helping you explore who Jesus is through reading through an account of Jesus' life. Can I encourage you to try it? We'll buy the coffee. The only questions we'll ask are, did you enjoy that and would you like to do it again? To the person amongst us who might have a a yet undisclosed gender dysphoria experience or are listening online, I want to say I am deeply grieved if you've been suffering and thought that Christians will only bring you judgment and shame. We are trying, I can't guarantee it, we are trying to ensure that doesn't happen amongst us from today. So if you feel ready, let's have a coffee. (laughs) I am no expert, but I do care. If your trust is already in Jesus, we are brothers and sisters in Christ trying to work this out together. And if you don't know who Jesus is and what he's done for you, after listening to your story, I would love to take you through the great news and reassure you just how precious you are to God and welcome you are among us. To parents who may be wondering or worried about their own child displaying signs of gender dysphoria, I want to say this is a safe space where you can find help. We really don't know all the answers, but I want to say let's walk this one together. Because Georgie's story is the general one that appears statistically, that children start displaying uh, signs of gender dysphoria between around about two and a half and five years old. Around three quarters of those cases resolve themselves in time, but of course that leaves one quarter that doesn't. There are some great resources around and we do want to help. I would say to Georgie, if this sermon somehow finds its way to you, thanks to the miracle of the internet, (laughs) I would want to say thank you for sharing your story. It really moved me. I think you are very brave, and I'm so thankful that you seem in such a good place. I'd consider it a great privilege to listen more someday, and I'd love, after listening, to be able to share more of why I think you are dearly loved by God like all of us and what Jesus has done for you. And finally, to the broader church community, the good news of Jesus is, of course, for all. And the practical and pastoral care of the trans community among us is complex and we're not skilled up. I've already got asked a bunch of questions I don't know the answers to after nine. (laughs) But I do want to say, amongst the many questions you and I might have about how we do this well in the trans community with faithfulness to God, one thing is very clear. 
is that the task of helping someone who currently identifies in the trans community is the same task that we have for each one uh, of uh, another in our relationships together. We are to help each other know, love, obey, and serve Jesus, living by faith in him, by his grace, just a little bit better tomorrow than we are today. I'm going to hand back uh, to Jo now, and she'll lead us in prayer and response in a little while as well, and uh, we'll grab uh, Jeff also. Thanks, Jo. Uh, Matt's just going to set up the bar stools for us, and Jeff's going to come up. Um, but as they do that, I just want to acknowledge that in a room like this, um, people will have a range of different experiences and backgrounds around an issue like transgenderism. Uh, and I want to say that it's okay to have different thoughts and feelings after hearing um, Matt's sermon. Uh, you might disagree. Uh, you might feel confused, uh, you might feel unsettled and confronted by some of the things, or maybe you just feel like that was a lot of information I've just never even thought about before, and that's all okay. Uh, what we're hoping to do in this next little while, um, I'll be interviewing Matt and Jeff, and the purpose of that is to help us think about what steps we can take next as a community of God's people. So that's the aim of our next little time with each other. Um, so many of us would be familiar uh, with Jeff. If we've been around Trinity um, Church kind of like Gardens for a little while, Jeff has very kindly come on a number of occasions to preach to us. Uh, Jeff is a member of staff at Trinity Church Adelaide, as well as um, senior staff worker and campus director at um, Adelaide University. Um, so it's wonderful that Jeff can be here with us today with a slightly different hat on, which is uh, the committee chair of Living Hope. Can you tell us a bit about what that is about, what ministry they do and the work that they hope to achieve? Thanks, Joe. Um, lovely to see you all again. Um, as Joe said, uh, I'm part of a ministry called Living Hope SA. Uh, this is a ministry that, that was set up a couple of years ago by representatives from a bunch of different churches and denominations here in Adelaide, uh, particularly to help care for Christians uh, who are struggling with same-sex attraction. Uh, so we run support groups and provide referrals to Christian counsellors uh, for Christians for whom that's part of their experience. Uh, but we've also, I guess, recognised that in the area of sexuality and identity, that even if you're not someone who yourself struggles with same-sex attraction, uh, many of us have family members who are LGBT+. And so along those lines as well, we've started running support groups there too. Um, I guess the main thing that we do though is we're trying to work out how to equip and resource local churches to be the front line of pastoral care because in the end, that's where all the action is uh, and that's a bit of how Living Hope has come to be. Thanks, Jeff. It's good to hear about the work of Living Hope and we'll hear a little bit more about some of the things uh, that they've got coming up. Um, the church has made a variety of mistakes in the past um, on topics like uh, transgenderism. Um, just wondering if, maybe starting with Matt, if you can share uh, with us, what are some of the ways that you think we might be able to avoid uh, making some of the mistakes of the past? Sure. I, I hope it came across uh, in the sermon that when we approach a topic like this, I want us to be a church that thinks people first, gospel first, 
rather than, uh, I guess, running to the familiar things that you only ever hear Christians talking about, uh, like safe schools and bathrooms and things like that. Now, I'm not saying that I think those things are unimportant. I'm just saying I don't think they should be of central importance. I think our task as a church is uh, to lovingly proclaim the gospel to all and call people to repentance and faith, whatever that looks like uh, for them. I think probably to, uh, I guess, illustrate this point um, better, one of the uh, things that happened this week that I think I'll always uh, remember was, uh, Grace was at the CMS dinner, I asked the kids whether they're okay with me sharing this story now. The, uh, Grace was at the CMS dinner on Wednesday, Thursday night, I was at home by myself with our kids, uh, 11, 9, 4, and uh, the topic of suicide came up around the dinner table through something uh, that had happened at school. And if you know part of my backstory, I'd always been wondering uh, when was the right time to broach the topic of uh, suicide and explain why in family photos there's someone missing that they don't know. Um, and I think I came away from the discussion really very thankful uh, for all the people who invest so much in our kids and our kids' ministry here to uh, support us as parents, teaching them uh, the Bible and teaching them to think lovingly and graciously uh, from a Christian worldview. Because I thought, I realise there's many <laughs> challenges and moments coming in teenage years that I probably won't share so uh, freely. But the... For now, I was really very thankful to God that the kids' gut reactions, I think, were right. So the first question they asked is, so, does, you know, did your brother trust in Jesus? And I said, yes. And you see the relief wash across their face that, uh, you know, there's um, in uh, heaven now with Jesus. They've been thinking through death lately with their great-grandmother uh, recently, again, uh, who loved Jesus, uh, going to be with him. Um, and uh, all sorts of questions. And I thought the instincts were great. One of the things one of the kids said was, you know, do you cry sometimes about this? And I said, yeah, I do, actually. I said, sometimes weeks and months pass, I don't think about it. Sometimes just randomly it catches you. And I said, actually, I spent quite a bit of today in tears because I was writing a sermon about a, a group of people in society that uh, suffer a lot from suicide. And I said, well, you know, Who's that? And I said, what's the transgender community? Uh, you know, cue the discussion uh, there. So, you know, on a Thursday night, totally unprepared, we've covered suicide and uh, transgenderism uh, with the kids. But again, their gut response was right. It was to think people and to think gospel. And we had a, it triggered a wonderful discussion, and that's why we as a family and as a church family are on about planning churches and sharing the gospel with people, because everyone really needs uh, to know Jesus. So... Um, yeah, I, I want to teach, I, I want all of us to kind of mirror what I'm hoping to teach our kids, is not to, I think sometimes Christians get caught up trying to control the world through all sorts of means and, and politics and lobby groups and things like that, and please hear me say, I'm not, of all the emails I get this week, I don't want to get an email about that one, that I do think those things are important, but I don't think they're centrally important. I want to teach our kids to live confidently in the world, knowing Jesus, knowing the worldview, to be loving, to be gracious, and for their heart response always to be reaching people with the gospel. So I want the same for our church. I reckon that's how we avoid mistakes of the past. I won't go on like that for every answer, otherwise we'll be here all day. I'll be <laughs> short after this. That's my best story. <laughs> Jeff, your thoughts? Um, thanks. Uh, look, I have the privilege of getting to lots of different churches to talk about matters to do with sexuality and identity. I guess um, maybe two reflections. One about how you relate to each other and then one about how you relate to outsiders, particularly to those 
who aren't Christian but trying to work out what Christianity has to say about these things. Uh, for the, I guess for how you relate as a community, can I just continue to encourage you to be open and to talk with each other? Um, my observation is that if you keep things bottled up and quiet and under wraps, it will never end well. Uh, you know that generally in life, but particularly in Christian communities. Uh, of course, there are good ways and unhelpful ways to do that. I think today has been one of the really helpful ways of trying to address an issue that all of us have thoughts about. You cannot help but have thoughts about it. But if we don't get a chance to think about it theologically and from the Bible's perspective, we'll only ever be informed by what the world thinks, which is not our worldview. Um, I, I guess particularly on that, I do want to commend to you your leadership team. Um, I am, um, Matt mentioned this, earlier in the year I sat down with all the Trinity Network senior pastors, so that's 10 of them, and I said to them, all of you need to address transgender matters this year in your pulpits. Um, this is the first church that's actually taken up that offer. It wasn't an offer, actually. It was just a, um, you know, I think about it. It's a well-made suggestion, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, um, like I said, I'm happy to come and speak, uh, yet particularly Matt and the staff felt that actually it was more important for this community to handle that, I guess, in-house. And I'm really thrilled by the way in which uh, they've done so. That's what Living Hope is here to do, to help train and equip local churches. Um, these guys have prayed about this. They have done their own preparation, um, incredible amount, like more than any other sermon this year, I can safely yeah, say that. Sure. <laughs> uh, they were working on it as a team, even till last night. So what you've heard are not just Matt's reflections, but more generally of some of the leadership here. So I think that's actually the gold standard in terms of how a, leaders, a leadership lead a church. Um, a comment very briefly about how we connect with outsiders and especially those who aren't Christian and trying to work out what, uh, what the Bible has to say about matters to do with sexuality or identity. Um, as much as possible, I want to encourage you to help focus the question not on our identity but on Jesus' identity. Uh, most people will say, what does the Bible have to say about same-sex attraction or about transgender? And look, that, that's a good question to ask and we need to deal with that. Uh, but in the end, generally what I want people to work out is, do you think Jesus is who he claims to be? He claims to be the Son of God, because if he's not, quite frankly, ignore everything he's got to say. But if he is who he says he is, uh, I hope you can see that there's much more on view than simply questions about my identity and my sexuality. So mm. that's the bit that I, I guess I want to encourage churches to not get distracted, but to see that in the end the main thing is working out if Jesus is who he claims to be, because in the end we follow him. Great, that's really helpful, Jeff. Um, Matt mentioned a little bit in uh, his sermon um, approaches he recommends and suggests for those who are experiencing uh, gender dysphoria here in our community. Jeff, would you have anything to add to that? Yeah, look, I, again, I thought what Matt said was exactly spot on. That is, a willingness uh, to bring matters into the open that we might talk and pray and cry and encourage together. Like, I think that's, that's the key to the Christian community. Um, maybe a couple of observations. One would be, if you are someone for whom this is a struggle for you, either personally or because of a family member, I, I just want to encourage you to be brave and to be courageous and to be willing to share with someone. Um, at one level, it doesn't really matter who, although obviously a, a wise and a thoughtful person will help, but the willingness to take one step forward and to share with someone, I think, is very significant. Um, and obviously, you'll be thoughtful about who, but I want to encourage you to do that because, as I said before, keeping things to yourself, they will never end well. Um, maybe the comment I'd make then to the whole church is, 
if someone, what to do when someone approaches you and says, there's an, an issue I want to talk about? I heard a number of years ago a testimony from um, a Christian pastor in the United States uh, who had struggled with same-sex attraction for years and never told anybody about it, finally summoned up the courage to tell a trusted uh, mentor that this is what was going on for him. Uh, and he said that the person who he told gave him the gift of being unsurprised. Uh, the gift of being unsurprised, which I think is just a lovely way of saying he accepted him, he welcomed him, he promised to pray for him. I presume he shared something of his own struggles because all of us are broken, as we've, as we've been reminded this morning. But I guess I want to say, therefore, to the whole church, if someone does confide in you, I get that it might be confronting and it might be a bit out of your comfort zone. Uh, can I encourage you, please do your very best to remind them that they are dearly loved, not just by you, but more importantly, by, by the Lord. And uh, from there, that's the starting point to be able to walk alongside each other and to care for each other. Mm, that's great. Thanks, Jeff. Um, a final question for both of you. Uh, for the majority of us, uh, many of the things that we've heard about this morning on this topic are new thoughts. Um, what are some ways that you could suggest for us to keep growing in our ability to be loving as a community towards those with gender dysphoria? I think just uh, to, to find out more, really, Jeff's uh, brought some uh, books here that will uh, hold up. One's uh, by Andrew Walker that I read and uh, found excellent. There's another one by a guy called Yah House that I referred to in the sermon as well. And they're both very thoughtful and excellent uh, books if you want to read more. And then uh, for people who don't like to read long books, just want a primer, there's a, there's a smaller book uh, there as well, which I haven't read that one, but I hear it's excellent in terms of uh, being a small book. I think... As I, this is not a criticism of either book, I think uh, I'd want to preface it by saying I don't, don't read it and think this is exactly what Matt thinks on this entire topic, because actually if you read both books, you realise they go in different directions on how we compassionately care uh, for people with gender dysphoria, so don't necessarily read all the books and think that's my position or even worse, the Trinity uh, position. Um, we're all just trying to you know, work this out uh, together. I think, um, more importantly in, in, sorry, not more importantly, another important uh, thing to say is it's good to start talking with our kids about this in age-appropriate ways, uh, because kids already are talking about this at school. Uh, so last year on recommendation, uh, we got, or maybe, yeah, it was last year, uh, these books uh, by Dr. Patricia Werakunin. Uh, there's six of them here. She's a Christian sexologist, and she's written six really helpful books. There's one on um, pornography, understanding my body. Uh, there's also one about gender, and the thing I really like about these books is that they're, they're age-appropriate. Uh, so I read them with Jack and Cease when they were 10 and 8, uh, I also think the tone is really good, like you wouldn't be embarrassed to have this on the coffee table and someone who doesn't know Jesus pick them up and read them because the tone is very good, it's gracious, it's faithful. Um, I was just uh, astounded how much the kids already know and talk about this and how quick once raised uh, they were eager to engage on it and again trigger very thankful to all the people who work so well in our kids ministry to help them think from a biblical worldview. so I'd recommend those. Oh, probably the other one, I just mentioned the Yahouse uh, video. Yahouse's book is probably the thickest and most 
deep of all of them. If you just want a primer on it, there's a great YouTube video of about half an hour of a lecture by him. We'll put it in the weekly email uh, this week. We'll give you a bit of a primer on Yahouse's take on things. That's mm. great. Um, yeah, let me just uh, commend those Patricia Werricoon books as well. Um, we read them all with our kids. Ours are a bit, our kids are a bit older. They were terrific, really helpful. Um, in terms of some books to read, which I'll have on sale afterwards, um, this is the little book that Matt was referring to. It's just called Transgender by Vaughan Roberts. Vaughan Roberts is an English pastor um, who's a very clear and helpful writer. Um, I like this book. I work with students, so it's short, so there's a chance they might actually read it. It's also cheap. It's five bucks. Um, so I have about 50 copies of these outside, so come and get that from me. It is, however, only a $5 book, so it's not as good as the $15 book, um, <laughs> which is this one here by... Um, Andrew Walker that uh, Matt referred to. Again, both of them are really helpful introductions. Uh, they'll obviously go further than what Matt covered today, mm. but help open up some of the questions for you. So I recommend those highly. I sold about 50 copies of each of these at Trinity Church Adelaide when I preached earlier this year. Um, so come and see me afterwards. Uh, the other thing is, can I ask you to take out the leaflet that was on your seats, please? Um, this leaflet, as you came in. It's more by the back door if it's been um, swiped yeah, if you by one, You can pick one up <laughs> afterwards, but... Um, a couple of years ago, Living Hope uh, brought out Sam Albury. Many of you were privileged to be able to hear him speak on matters to do with same-sex attraction. Uh, Sam is an English pastor. He set up a ministry in the UK called Living Out, along with another fellow called Ed Shaw, who we are bringing to Adelaide in a couple of weeks' time. Um, Ed is another English pastor, same-sex attracted, uh, and he's going to be host, um, speaking at a number of different events here in Adelaide, the goal of which is to train and equip local churches. So you'll see on the handout there, there's a night for parents to talk to their kids about sexuality, as well as an open event. Um, I want to commend those highly to you. They'll, you'll find those really helpful and useful, and all the details are on um, that handout. Uh, uh, churches in Adelaide are also live streaming a youth event on, uh, on the Friday night, which I believe all the parents here have already been informed about. So that'll be something you can participate in. Hmm? Excellent. Well, that wraps up our interview time.